I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's oseamalibu.com, code GLOW. It looks like a river from a fairy tale. With its picturesque bridges, the Drina cuts through valleys and plains, countries and cultures, forming the border between Bosnia and Serbia. It is so unique. It's got this limestone bed, so it's emerald green colour, really dramatic mountains on either side, green, lush, beautiful. It was listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site, but now the views of the river are changing. Rubbish from three different countries is choking the Drina. Everybody put the garbage here. Uh, it smells terrible. I mean, it can really smell it now. It's, it's uh, some, some uh, kind of the meanings of the animals or something like this. <laughs> what is it like to live next to a moving landfill site? And what are locals doing to reverse the damage? They're living in this beautiful place and it's just blighted. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, sold down the river, the Bosnian bottleneck. I just got back from Bosnia last week. It was one of my first trips in the pandemic era, so it was both stressful and very liberating. I, I realised <laughs> as I was getting the taxi to the airport in Istanbul, it was the first time I'd left Istanbul since November. And <laughs> seeing kind of green around me was the most amazing thing. <laughs> That's Hannah Lucinda Smith, who writes about Turkey and the Balkans for The Times. She's been in Bosnia looking at a story that's ostensibly about rubbish. But what it reveals is how a landscape already ravaged by war, is now being blighted by the peace that followed. So a group of environmentalists in 
Bosnia have been really trying to raise the alarm about something that's happening on the Drina River, which is a river that runs from Montenegro through Serbia, through Bosnia, and then back through Serbia. And then it joins with the Sava River, which then joins with the Danube in Belgrade. So it's one of the major European rivers. It's also very beautiful. It's got this limestone bed, so it's kind of emerald green colour, really dramatic mountains on either side, green, lush, beautiful, and also full of rubbish. Absolutely full of plastic. So disappointing. Up until then, it sounded so picturesque. It's almost like Narnia. It's just gorgeous, gorgeous landscape. As well as its legendary beauty, the Drina River, where the rubbish is now piling up, marks the border between Bosnia and Serbia. The tragic thing is, in the Yugoslav era, there were loads of factories along this river, and it was all quite dirty and quite polluted. And then, obviously, there were the Yugoslav Wars, Yugoslavia split up, and a lot of those factories closed down. For some, it probably feels like yesterday. For others, it's a dim and distant bit of history. But the breakup of Yugoslavia was finally concluded in the 90s after years of political upheaval and bloody, bitter conflicts fought between ethnic Serbs and Muslim Bosnians. It ended with Yugoslavia being broken up into a number of countries, and the ones that now form the banks of the Drina include Montenegro, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and Serbia. You no longer have this very centralised communist system. So the area's become a bit of a hub for ecotourism, but replacing the problem of those factories dirtying the water now is a plastic problem. To see the problem for herself, Hannah Lucinda Smith went to an area of the river close to the town of Visegrad. It's very close to the Serbian border. And there's a point where the Drina River opens out into this lake and it's beautiful. Except there is just literally an island of plastic in it. Tell me what that looks like. So we went out on a boat and I asked Dayan, who is an environmentalist, who we went out with I said you know, how big do you think this is and he said oh you know it's a couple of football fields and I said no nah, it's not that big no come on because obviously when it's flat and we were looking at it from a perspective level with it and it didn't look that big but then the cameraman put the drone up and he was like yeah it's that big it's huge and we looked at the footage and it is it's mostly plastic bottles and plastic bags but then there was also a whole refrigerator in that so tell me a bit about your guide to all this for a start. So, Dayanne, tell me about him and what is he and what are, what are his colleagues? What are they trying to do? So Dan Fittler is 34 years old. He's Bosnian. He was born and grew up in Visegrad and he loves it. Dayan, yeah. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So... It's a bad occasion, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a beautiful place, but it's just yeah. a shame about the rubbish, yeah. right? If it wasn't for the rubbish, this would be a really beautiful boat trip. Yeah. He loves his hometown, and you can see why. It's a tourist town. It's got this old Ottoman bridge, which actually is really famous in Bosnian literature. Bosnia's most famous novelist is from Visegrad, a guy called Ivo Andrić. Won the Nobel Prize for his work, which he mostly set in Visegrad. There's one called The Bridge Over the Drina. So it's a really famous touristic town. When we were there on a Saturday afternoon, it was beautifully sunny. There were families having ice cream on the bridge and little boat tours up and down the river. But then you go you know, three or four miles outside of town and you come to this lake. 
And actually what's causing all the plastic to congregate there is there's a hydroelectric power plant at one end of it. And in order to stop the rubbish going into their turbines and churning it up, they've made this crude barrier. It's like oil drums strung together to keep the rubbish away. But actually um, the night before we went, there'd been a thunderstorm and a lot of the rubbish had sort of washed over anyway. 80% of the garbage came from the Montenegro. Okay. Yeah, from Montenegro and then arrive again in the, in the Serbia. Here in Bosnia and down there is the Bajnabasta, the, the Serbia. Okay. So the river goes from Montenegro to Serbia to yeah. Bosnia back again, to Serbia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a <laughs> magic circle. And the idea of a fridge, is this, is this just people throwing their rubbish into a river or is it being dumped there by people who are supposed to be doing waste disposal? How is it getting there? The landfill sites in this region, for some reason, are right on the banks of the river. It makes no sense. Each municipality along the river is in charge of their own waste collection. And actually in Visegrad, it's one of the few places where there is an official dump, which is away from the river, but you have to pay to use it. Instead of paying, people are just bringing their rubbish to an unofficial dump, which is right next to the river, and just dumping their stuff. They know they're not going to get prosecuted, basically. Why pay and do it the proper way when you can just bring it here and and dump it? A combination of opportunistic locals, sloppy governance, and even the seasons are contributing to a toxic cycle for the River Drina. Particularly in spring when the snow melts in the mountains, all this rubbish is just carried down into the river. There's like a deluge. Diane said to us, you know, actually you think this is bad, but if you'd been here a month ago, literally this whole lake was just covered in plastic. And then the other crazy thing is that every so often the power plant or the local municipality will hire a company to come out with a dredging boat and dredge all the stuff off the river. This is like 10 metres high pile of wood mixed in with plastic bottles. This is what they took out of the Drina from the start of the year and put it here. So just in the space of four months? Four months. So the companies are basically saying that we're taking it out and we're recycling it. But they're not recycling it, they're bringing it literally 100 metres up the road and putting it here. Putting it here. That seems mad. It is mad. And if it's not just going back into the river, sometimes it's set alight. And that actually happened when we were there. The the dump next to the lake was set alight. And then it's just noxious smoke going into the air. Both of those solutions sound terrible for the environment, but also for, for the town. You know, as a tourist site, how much is it being affected by the waste? So Dan's an environmentalist. You can really tell how hard he works voluntarily at this by the fact that he walks around the town and everybody knows him and everyone's got good things to say about what he's doing. But aside from that, his business is doing eco-tours and he's also a rower, he's a rowing coach. So every part of his life is connected to this river. So for him, it's it's terrible. Eco-tourists come to... Bosnia wanting to do hiking and swim in the river and go boating and whatever. And clearly that's not very nice when you've got this sort of fetid island of waste waxing and waning in the middle of the river. Whilst the local authorities are failing to clean up the problem, Hannah's guide Diane is one of a growing number of locals who are campaigning for change. It's a really fast-growing 
area of civil society in the Balkans. When I started realising this, I was quite surprised. I realised that almost every fixture and translator that I work with in that region is somehow connected to environmental issues. I think it's perhaps because on a state level, the care for the environment is just so dreadful. All of the Western Balkans, apart from Croatia and Slovenia, are not EU members. They are EU candidate countries, which should come with some sort of obligations to clean up your environment, but they're not part of the EU yet. The problem in the Drina River is reaching a crisis point, but the Balkans aren't the only place struggling with rubbish. A recent BBC investigation revealed the extent of the UK's own waste recycling problems, with much of our rubbish being dumped and burned in Turkey. Last year, the UK sent more than 160,000 tonnes of waste plastic to be recycled here in Turkey. Maybe in the UK a lot of the time it's something that you can be concerned about on a theoretical level, but it's not staring you in the face every day and you're not breathing it in every day. But in the Balkans, a lot of the time you are. This problem that's to a degree of the making of, of local people but largely is down to state failure. The Drina now runs through three countries. It begins in Montenegro and then becomes the border between Bosnia and Herzegovina and Serbia. In the past, it was all Yugoslavia and the river was all the responsibility of the Yugoslavian government. When plastic goes into the Drina and it flows downstream and flows across the border into a different country, they kind of think, well, ah, that's, that's our problem solved, isn't it? So you've got these three really kind of ineffectual, maybe sometimes slightly corrupt, in a lot of cases not very well managed local councils in each country, literally passing the problem on down the river. But there have been some attempts to address the problem. We went across the border into Serbia to see one of the landfill sites one of the biggest and was one of the places where a lot of the plastic was coming from and then floating down to Bosnia. And when we got there, we actually found that it was being cleared up, not necessarily in a great way because it was also on fire. Oh. So I don't know if that's an <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's an official way of clearing it up, but certainly it was being cleared. And actually, here's proof that activism and pressure does work, thanks to all the noise made by the activists. Finally, Serbian states got its act together and has started sorting this out and has created a proper place for rubbish. I guess landfill still isn't ideal wherever it is, but at least it's not going to be on the banks of the river. On the Bosnian side, there are additional complications and they're firmly rooted in history. Most people will know that Bosnia had this dreadful war in the 90s and the constitution that it's got now is basically an annex in the peace accords that ended that war in 1995. The longest siege in modern history was over. I'm pleased to announce that the parties in Bosnia have agreed to a ceasefire to terminate all hostile military activities. At the point where the war ended, there were three different forces all fighting each other in the country. There were Bosnian forces, there were Croat forces, and there were Serb forces. All Bosnian, but different ethnic forces. And the Dayton Peace Accords, this annex in it, basically gave each of them semi-autonomous zones within the country just as a way to end the war. And that's stayed in place. So the country that we know as Bosnia actually has got very, very complicated levels of government. There's a federal government 
based in Sarajevo. And then there's this semi-autonomous region called the Republika Srpska, which is majority Bosnian Serbs, which actually looks after a lot of its own affairs, including waste management and environmental issues. That's the area that Visegrad falls into. You've got that added complexity there of quite a sort of dysfunctional government in Bosnia that is still completely consumed by ethnic issues, is terribly tarnished by corruption as well, as you might expect, and very, very poor. So getting things done like this is not easy. Montenegro, also a very small, very poor state. So Serbia is the best organised of the three, with a very centralised government, and if it decides to want to do something, it has the the political power and the resources to be able to do it. The activists there told me, basically, okay, we can scoop all the rubbish out of the river and we can then move our landfill sites, but then rubbish is still drifting to us from Montenegro. So unless all three states do something, it's either all or nothing. Even if one state's clearing it up, the rubbish is still going to come from the others. The situation is a mess in more ways than one. So what are the solutions? We'll have more in just a moment. But first, a message from the man we all turn to for advice during the pandemic. Hi, this is Tom Whipple, and I'm the science editor at The Times. Thank you for listening. By doing so, you enable me to keep pace with the rapidly changing developments in the coronavirus pandemic and more. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one free month. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In economic theory, they call it the tragedy of the commons. Although everyone who lives near the Drina benefits from it, nobody owns the river so very few people feel responsible for the waste that's been building up. Normally, that's when governments would swoop in and take charge. But the Drina flows through a number of countries with layers of historic tensions. As Hannah Lucinda Smith explained, the governments of Bosnia, Serbia and Montenegro are failing to act. So should the EU be applying more pressure? It's the ministries in those countries that have jurisdiction over environmental issues. They're responsible for their own affairs completely. But they are candidate countries, so they are getting funding from the EU that's meant to bring them up to the standards required in order to join the EU. These countries have received absolutely billions of euros since the end of the war. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because they needed it for reconstruction. And it's generally in in a region like the Balkans, which, as the old cliche says, falls at the crossroads between east and west and is always 
subject to attempts by other powers like Russia and Turkey and China now to gain influence. It's always good to keep them in the European fold. However, questions do need to be asked. If all this money is being handed over by the EU, who's checking up on things like this? Whether you know, proper efforts are being made to, to bring them up to European standards on the environment. And in the meantime, it does sound there is something quite hopeful about the fact that so many young people and ordinary civilians are becoming activists on this issue. One of the reasons why I love the Balkans and I love working there is because it is a region that is just full of really educated, enthusiastic, eccentric people. They might have a history of being a socialist country with a very authoritarian government and then emerging from the wars with governments that are still quite autocratic a lot of the time in many ways. But as people, they are resourceful, quite eccentric and strong-willed. But for many of those people who are engaged and entrepreneurial, the economic problems that have laid waste to the region make it very hard to stay. The Balkans are suffering a massive brain drain of young people um, in recent years, and it's getting worse. There's just very little opportunities for young people who have got an education. Dayan and his friends are quite rare in that they are still in their hometown and want to stay there. Most of the time when I'm talking to to young people in the Balkans, they're actually talking about leaving and, and going to Europe. And I do wonder how many people can leave before there's you know, really no one left. It can't be indefinite. If the environment keeps getting worse and worse, why, why do people want to keep visiting it? Tourism's really taken off. And people come for the nature. But if you came as an eco-tourist and you turned up and the first thing you saw is just a load of plastic, then you're probably not going to be that impressed, right? Yeah. And I suppose that's another reason for people... For, for the brain drain, for people to leave, it's not just economic but environmental. The air quality is getting worse. The sad thing is that there's a fatalism about the quality of leadership in these kind of countries. A result of having bad and corrupt leaders is that your economy is terrible, your environment is terrible. Can you stop a country going into an unstoppable downward spiral and maybe the only way really to do that is to change in political culture a lot has changed in this region since the 90s but one thing that hasn't changed is the quality of leaders you know unfortunately particularly in bosnia in each of the three they're dominated by nationalist parties who every time an election comes around hark back to the bosnian war and i remember being in in sarajevo in 2018 before the last elections in bosnia and there was one political party which was multi-ethnic. It's a party called Nashastranka, which means our party. And it was set up by uh, a guy called Boris Falatar, who is the child of a mixed marriage in Sarajevo. Completely come from a mixed background, Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Muslim, uh, and even, you know, we, we have influences of Jewish culture. He'd lost both of his parents by the end of the war. He was still a teenager. He worked with the UN as a translator and became an international diplomat with the UN. And then he came back to Bosnia because he's like, I've got to do something. I still believe in a multi-ethnic Bosnia. A lot of people do. And we, we want to make a Bosnia where young people want to stay. Really important 
for young people to be more engaged and to reimagine really uh, a new form of government. He put it really well. He said all these parties, they raise or burn flags before every election and everybody forgets all the other issues. And it's really true. And the result of that kind of politics is this. They play on national spheres, forget everything else. They don't need to do anything else to win elections. They don't sort out rubbish problems and they don't sort out corruption or air quality. We all watched that war unfold in the 1990s. We saw so much change as a result of it. We saw these countries being created. And yet, I suppose, we don't often stop and think about how that war is still playing out in the region. The breakup of Yugoslavia finished and then interest faded away. Not headline news anymore, but Srebrenica was the site of the worst massacre of the Bosnian War. 8,000 Bosnian Muslim men and boys killed by Bosnian Serb forces. A couple of years ago, the general who ordered that was found guilty of genocide at the Hague. Now, the Parliament of Republika Srpska, a couple of years ago, just before the elections, decided to overturn a resolution that they had passed a few years earlier recognising that genocide. So they officially don't recognise it anymore. So this is what we're still dealing with. Denialism and jingoism and politicians who play on conspiracy theories and have just no interest in reconciliation. And that's really, really tragic. And bizarrely, finding plastic taking over one of the biggest rivers in Europe is yet another side effect. Bosnia was top of Europe's agenda and also the US's agenda for a decade, probably a bit more after the end of the wars. And then along came the Arab Spring and particularly along came Syria and then the refugee crisis and the era of Donald Trump and all the Brexit. The EU's just taken its eye off the ball. And one of the things I hear from politicians across the Balkans when I speak to them, not just in Bosnia, is that they feel like they've slipped down the ranking of importance. Well, let's look to the future because you know, the, the most promising thing you, you, you've talked about is this generation of activists, people who are really engaged, they care about the environment, they care about the world around them. Given that these countries are democracies, is there a chance that this will sweep in generational change? Change is never a sweeping thing. It's always very slow and very incremental. I do think if the US under Joe Biden does re-engage, and if the EU can sort itself out and re-engage as well, it's quite easy to be dismissive of the EU and say, oh, it's just a talking shop and what's it there for, whatever. But you go to places like Bosnia and a lot of people do want to join the EU. They see it as their future. They see it as a hopeful thing. And if the EU can re-engage and get people back on side, then I, th- I think slowly things can change. And for that region, I mean, you described it and it sounds beautiful. You know, it's a place that's inspired writers. How lasting could the damage be? The Drina is a really rich river. It's full of dozens of species of fish. It's got huge catfish in it. Aside from the river, it's just a great place for wildlife. I mean, even while we were filming at this landfill site that was on fire, we saw a couple of eagles circling above, right? How long can that wildlife survive if we keep poisoning it? Hmm. And for the environmental activists, people like Dejan, I mean, do you think he'll... Will he, will he stay? 
yeah, Diane will stay for sure. He he's got his business, he's got his friends. Yeah, it's his hometown, and he loves his work. He's not going to leave. But overall, Bosnia's lost twenty percent of its pre-war population. That's massive. You go driving through some of the mountain towns, and it's all old people sitting there. It's not a healthy way for a country to be. If you want your country to be developing and moving forward and getting better, you can't be losing all your bright young people to Western Europe. Nobody is uh, responsible for, for this. It's like the, there is no end of, of this story. It's, it's unbelievable. It, it is unbelievable. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Hannah Lucinda Smith, who writes about Turkey and the Balkans for The Times. You can read more of her work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Oliver Adamson. The executive producers were Asia Fuchs and James Shield, and sound design was by Nigel Appleton. If there's a story you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do get in touch. Send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. <laughs>